Today's episode is sponsored by Inward Bound Mindfulness Education. Wondering what your teen is going to do this summer? Wish they had more, more focus, more compassion, more patience, more concentration? Inward Bound Mindfulness Education offers innovative formats and teaching frameworks to teach teens and young adults mindfulness practices. Practices which build deep listening skills, self-awareness, and communication. And this summer, they're offering multiple retreat options, both in-person and online. In-person retreats are being planned safely according to CDC guidelines, such as ensuring each participant has their own room. Additionally, if in-person retreats need to be canceled for safety, then registrations will be refunded and online retreats will occur during that time frame. Either way, in-person or online, your child can have a powerful experience of learning mindfulness practices with the help of incredible staff and supportive peers. Visit ibme.com for details, dates, and registration. That's ibme.com. Being stressed makes parenting harder. It makes it harder for a busy woman to be what she wants to be for her kids, for her partner, for her business, for her work, for herself, for her friends, all around. And here at Mighty Parenting, we hear how we need to model the life we want our kids to leave, and we certainly don't want them to be stressed. So Sandy Fowler, me, your host of Mighty Parenting, is also a stress relief coach, and I've created a free video and inventory for you to use to help yourself reduce stress and start designing your life to keep yourself from being stressed, filter it out before it hits you, and have tools to manage it when it does. Just visit sandyfowler.com slash stress-relief, sandyfowler.com slash stress-relief, and start finding more peace today. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, the podcast with real raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, a stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting Podcast. And quick reminder, remember to pop over to MightyParenting.com and grab your free email series on how to talk to your teen. Parenting teenagers is quite different from parenting our toddlers and our young children. We want our teens to have a successful academic journey. We want them to be happy and healthy. And yet, many of our parenting practices prevent that. In fact, they can stress our teens out and push them toward anxiety. And in an effort to see our kids on the road to success, even well-intentioned parents are behaving badly and exacerbating the problems teens are facing. Cindy Muchnick and Jen Curtis know this. They are veteran education consultants. They're experts in the college admissions process and their moms who provide a roadmap for parents during those pressure-laden teen years in their book, The Parent Compass, Navigating Your Teen's Wellness and Academic Journey in Today's Competitive World. And today they are joining us to show us how we can parent better and really give our kids a strong start. Jen, Cindy, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Thank Thank you, you, Sandy. So as I said, your book is titled The Parent Compass, Navigating Your Teen's Wellness and Academic Journey in Today's Competitive World. And that really had me wondering when I saw it, like, what is a parent compass? We 
wrote this book, I think it's really important to understand the background. What, what was the catalyst for the parent compass? And that was the eruption of the Varsity Blues scandal almost two years ago. We, Cindy and I spent nearly the entire day on the phone with one another, lamenting what was going on in the news in front of us. And um, over the weeks that followed that, we began to have more and more conversations about bad parenting behavior that we were seeing in our offices day in and day out. We were seeing kids who couldn't advocate for themselves, kids who didn't have their own voice and their own unique opinions, and they were frazzled and burned out. And so we felt that we had these tools and these strategies that we had picked up over time uh, while watching the parents who were raising thriving and resilient kids And we wanted to create kind of a toolbox for parents to navigate these difficult teen years um, while keeping communication and their relationships with their kids intact. So a parent compass is a collection of tools for parents to try on um, to help them go through these teen years um, with confidence. So that's what the book is, right? The book is a collection of tools. For you, though, in your internal conversations with each other, Cynthia, what what do you feel like inside? You know, what's a parent compass to us internally? Sure. That's a great question. In fact, um, when Jen and I launched the book, she sent me a little necklace with a compass on it that she said was kind of our reminder to kind of keep following our own parent compass, which really is sort of a symbol for not just like your inner personal compass of kind of knowing right from wrong, but I think it's really something that we follow that helps empower our teens and helps remind us to take the long view and to know that what we're doing when we follow a parent compass, kind of our little internal voice that's telling us, hey, don't don't do that. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have done it that way or try a new way. Focus is on seeing the teen you have in front of you, appreciating that individual and helping launch them to be their own happy, successful, you know, well-intentioned person that's going to go out into the world and be happy. And that word success is always tricky because following your parent compass, we want to have successful kids, but success does not mean Every AP, every honor, every award, every moment of their day crammed with activities. Success means their own individual, personal, their own compass almost that they follow to find what brings them joy individually. And the main thrust that I've kind of heard over and over again from our listeners and our readers and our audience is that this parent compass has given parents a chance to self-reflect and recenter. And correct some of the bad behaviors and mistakes that they may have made. And Jen and I ourselves are not perfect at following this parent compass. We talk about it in our book. We talk about mistakes we've made and we constantly remind us. And I put my hands on that little necklace all the time to just remind myself like, okay, I'm going to take my deep breath and I am going to practice what I preach and try this another way. And it works. The crazy thing is it works. We interviewed 
you know, thought leaders, psychologists, heads of school, teachers, students, our own experiences as parents. And we brought it all together in this one kind of easy to read collective place that just reminds you to just behave better. So as I think of this idea of parents behaving badly, behaving better, I feel like a lot of our parenting choices and our poor behaviors really come from a place of fear. Do you hear about that from the parents and even maybe the kids seeing that in their parents? I think that's actually, it's funny. We interviewed um, a few months ago with a therapist and we got really into this idea of it comes from weirdly a place of fear and a place of love that are really side by side, because I think the fear is yes, that we are not doing everything within our power as parents to help equip our children. But at the same time, we love them so deeply and so fiercely. And sometimes what we feel is a example of our love is by doing things for them and fixing things for them and paving the way for them. And what we're really doing is robbing them of these opportunities to grow on their own and make mistakes and pick themselves up when they fall down. And I think we know, and you probably know, Sandy, having older kids that we parent sometimes each of our kids differently as we grow as parents, as we gain experience and confidence in doing this better. And the perfect example was yesterday, my 16 year old got his driver's license and we were lucky enough to, you know, get into the DMV after a few cancellations during COVID and he got his license and after school, he had a socially distant football practice, um, which is more like fitness. I'm outdoors. sorry. I, just, I, I can't even wrap my head around socially. <laughs> what that looks football. like. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like an outdoor fitness, you know, lesson you each are in your own okay. cube and square, but you're with your teammates. So you're sort of feeling a sense of camaraderie. And, um, he took the keys and he drove himself. And he just left. And this morning he had a very early dentist appointment I had to make before school. And he took the keys and he drove himself. And this is, you know, less than 24 hours after being a newly minted driver. My first son, it would have been weeks of extra practice, weeks of worrying, me watching him drive away, me calling when he arrived, me worrying that he couldn't do it on his own. And I will tell you just in 24 hours, I have seen the resilience and the joy in his step of this feeling of independence that I am letting him have, that he should rightly have. So I think that we, um, it comes from a place of fear, fear of not giving them enough and doing enough for them, but it really comes from a place of deep love of wanting whatever their accomplishments are and whatever they do in their lives to somehow feel like it's a reflection on us as parents. And it's really not because they're just individual human beings living their lives and our job is to kind of stand by their side and be there as a sounding board and be there to help a little, but not be there to snowplow the life ahead of them. Yeah. And I want to talk about that in just a second, but I wanted to go back to the idea of, I think sometimes we don't even realize what we're doing as much as I pay attention to my parenting practices and with conducting interviews, you know, doing 52 interviews a year, it keeps me really focused on what I'm doing and how I'm parenting my kids. And yet a couple of years ago, I kept hearing from my daughter, I got it, mom. I got it, mom. And I just, every time she said it, I had to check myself and go, what am I doing? Where am I stepping in where she doesn't need me to? Not just because she's saying, not just because she wants to do more, but the idea that she recognizes 
that I'm overstepping or doing too much. So our kids, I think, can give us that indication that we are doing too much. And you guys talk about, you just mentioned snow plowing. And I don't know if everybody's heard these terms. You talk in the book about helicopter parenting, snow plow parents, tiger parents. Jen, you want to enlighten us a little bit about these different parenting styles? I think what it comes down to are the parents who are paving the way for their kids. So they're talking over their kids. They're stepping over their kids when, when an adult um, poses a question to their kid, they jump in and answer. And what it's doing is it's taking away each kid's voice and sense of um, self. And it, it's also something that we talk a lot about in the book is self-advocacy skills. And when students can't speak up for themselves, don't know how to approach a teacher because um, a parent has kind of gone above them and done it themselves, or a parent jumps in and fixes the situation, um, then, then the kid does not ever feel kind of that sense of empowerment and doesn't get that practice, um, you know, to speak for themselves. And sometimes I think we can also give them the impression that everything should be smoothed out in front of them too. Again, one of my girls, they had a substitute teacher for a math class. For whatever reason, the, the sub that the school picked was actually a business major. And to be teaching a, an honors advanced math class was, she was doing it and I give her credit, but she was barely ahead of the kids. And they were, they felt that and they felt they weren't getting the explanations they needed and they were complaining. And my husband, I looked at her and said, you're a group of bright kids in a class together, figure it out. And if you can't figure it out, then come to your dad. He's a math tutor. Like you solve the problem instead of complaining about how the school didn't make everything easy for you. I'm like, you know how to teach yourselves. You, my daughter, I'm like, you've done this. We, we had you doing this for years when you were homeschooling, but they forget. They forget that they can do that. And so they lay it out there and then we dive in and we start going, oh, the school should have had a better tutor or a better substitute teacher. And we contact the school and go, why do you have this person in there? And instead of teaching our kids that they have that ability. And I love that you said that, that um, teaching them these self-advocacy advocacy, advocacy skills or giving them the opportunity to build those gives them a sense of empowerment. Is that something that you guys see missing as you work with kids, that they don't have a sense of empowerment? I do. Absolutely. Um, we start out the book giving an anecdote of one girl in particular, which could be a girl. It, it was a specific story, but it, it could be representative of so many kids that, that I see. Um, this particular girl was sitting on the couch in my office and she was sitting next to her mom. Her mom had kind of been blabbering on for about 10 minutes about this and that and continually comparing the poor girl to her sister the whole time. And um, you could tell that the mom did all the talking in this family. And I asked the girl a very simple question. It was to, to try to gear the conversation over toward her. And I said, what do you like to do? And she panicked. She near, near had a panic attack. She couldn't answer my question. She was freaking out. She only managed to eke out mom, like, please answer the question for me. Cause they literally don't know how to answer the question. And this was very much a young 
girl who who was never given a sense of empowerment. And, um, you know, I think that when we can empower our kids to try something and then work through them when they falter or make mistakes, um, that's when we see their growth catapulting. Um, and so when parents are not giving them those opportunities, um, we, we then see kids that are shying away from making mistakes and trying new things and, and growing and challenging themselves. You mentioned the idea of not that she didn't even know what she liked to do. And, and that's one of the things you talk about in the book is encouraging our kids around their passions so that they're willing to, to fall down, to make mistakes, because this is something interesting enough for them. How can we help our kids do that? Especially if we find that maybe we're a parent who has been, you have in the book, uh, almost a checklist. You just have this series of questions. Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Are you doing this? And it's like, oh, okay. Am I, am I overstepping? Am I overparenting? Am I snowplowing? Am I tigering? Like if we read that and we go, oh, that's been me. And then we start realizing that maybe our child doesn't feel very empowered and, and isn't able to do that. So if we see this, how can we go about encouraging them, helping them find that passion and, and take those steps when maybe they haven't been doing that? That's a, you know, pursuing a passion um, can come in so many shapes and sizes and colors. And when our kids are little, we obviously are the ones that introduce them to things. We take them to the ballet lessons or the piano lessons or the team or the art class or the museum, whatever it is we ex expose them to. So they're limited in those years by the scope of what we share with them, unless they've at a young age, you know, found something on their own and grabbed on pretty tight. But uh, as they get older and they, you know, talk to friends and they socialize and they explore on the internet or they explore just in their school, the various organizations and clubs and things, they're going to stumble upon things that bring them joy. And you're going to see that very clearly because it's the majority of what they want to talk about or what they want to share with you. And so what parents make the mistake of sometimes doing is if those passions or interests don't line up with the parents, the parents have to take a hard stop and say, wait a second, I'm not going to try to kind of push my interests anymore or redirect. This is something that excites my kids. I'm just going to dive in and see what I can do to help them keep doing those things. And so we tell stories in the book about a girl who enjoyed the flying trapeze and it was a very weird interest, not weird, just a very different interest. And she tried it once at summer camp and came home begging her parents for trapeze lessons. Now that's kind of a weird place to, how do you find that? How do you go about doing that? And, you know, and the daughter had watched all these YouTube videos and she'd even contacted her camp counselor of where she could learn. And, you know, it wasn't like this was someone who was going to go on to Cirque du Soleil and was a real gymnast, but it was just a joy. And so the parents did everything they could do to try to create or find those experiences outside of summer camp. And then believe me, they did a longer session the next summer at summer camp. So the daughter could explore that more. And I think that these interests can be just academic. They can be interests that are you know, community driven and civic minded, they can show up in, you know, in wanting to do learn new languages or new instruments, they can show up in so many ways. And I think all we need to do as parents is just put our antenna up and hear when there's that enthusiasm that comes out in our kids voice. I mean, it could be reading books, whatever it could be. Our job is to help nourish 
and facilitate that, but not take it over and not go against it to go with it. And um, I think that's just the greatest thing. Jen and I share stories of kids whose parents have forced them and pigeonholed them into continuing with things they started to try to almost teach their kids a lesson that you have to finish what you start or you have to carry this all the way through. I had a fifth grade parent call me saying, my son wants to quit the Boy Scouts and I want him to be an Eagle Scout. And that's a long way away. And should I let him quit? And I thought, oh my gosh, he's in fifth grade. Like you have so much time ahead to explore other things. Of course. Why would you push to, you know, force him to go to an activity that doesn't interest him? Our time is so limited that kids in their free time should be able to enjoy things that they choose doing. And um, we've turned into a country of, you know, kind of one sport year round for kids who do sports. And it becomes this, we, we explore that in the book. It's, it's damaged kids' bodies and minds by investing way too many hours at way too young an age um, in one sport year round. It's damaged pocketbooks of parents of all the resources that they've had to put in and the travel they've had to do. And, and occasionally you may have a kid that really takes great joy in this one endeavor, this one sport very, very deeply, but they're not all going to be college athletes or Olympic athletes. You know, they're, this is an activity that they should participate in and enjoy. And when it becomes too much, we have to listen to the science. We have to let them back off, slow down, redirect, find something new. What I loved that you said in there, Cindy, is first of all, I love this example of the trapeze because it is so out there, right? And we would go, most parents would go, okay, well, great, but you, you, how are you going to practice how? trapeze? What are you going to do with that, mm -hmm. right? But what I loved is, you know, you said, how do you find that? How do you go about doing that? And we're talking about teens here. So that's exactly what we do. We go, wow, that's really interesting, honey. How do you think you can find that? And let them, that's what I'm hearing you say. It's like, right. Yes. Take, let them take the reins there. I mean, help them if they don't know how to do it or they're like, geez, right. I don't know then. Okay. Let's brainstorm. Yes. But that's exactly what I hear you saying is we want them through that passion to feel empowered, to learn skills, to become self-sufficient. And we do yes. that by not just going, oh, this is your passion. And I found all this stuff that you can go do about your passion, but right. rather to let them take those reins. All right. So the other end of that spectrum, you know, you talked about sports and some of the more common or more expected things in our kids, but you also said like, if their thing is reading, I know a lot of times people will be like, oh, my kid just sits in their room and reads, or my kid just sits there and plays video games. What do you have to say to parents about those types of things, those types of passions? Um, I, first of all, I would say, great, great. Okay. So they love reading. Um, guess what? We have a public library every four blocks and all sorts of reading clubs and really neat ways that they can use their reading. Reading turns into writing, reading turns into book clubs, reading turns into just exploring new areas. And wow, I mean, who could say reading isn't a great habit? I happen to have had my oldest used to pack his entire suitcase for you know family vacations with books. And they were so heavy when we got to the 50 pounds that there was no room for the clothes. So we had to pack that in the, the books in the carry-on and he didn't want an electronic reader. He wanted you know pages that he could turn. And that lifelong love of reading, you know, is, he's now an English teacher and in, um, in a high, you know, he teaches eighth and 10th grade English. So, you know, those passions can start at a young age and our job is to nourish them. And you know what, if it's video games, which I know parents are complaining about, you know, it's too much screen time, it's too much video games. 
video games, I'm sorry, I'm not just like saying how amazing they are, but they can be incredibly social. They can be incredibly positive. They can actually be educational. There are ways kids can learn coding, programming. They can play virtually with friends who are at their house. I'm not a proponent of like the violent video games and the ones that, you know, teach, you know, kind of bad language or bad, you know, wartime behavior, whatever that might be. But video games can be, you know, there's so much more kids are studying video gaming and taking courses in video gaming and learning to build and craft video games. And so to me, I wouldn't tell a parent like, oh, you've got to punish your kid and take them off of it. But I would look for ways to make that video game interest you know, educational and a positive opportunity. And maybe they can start a gaming club or maybe they can help younger kids with gaming or they can devise their own game or write some articles for gaming. There's just lots of ways that their interests can be expanded, whatever the, again, the interest might be. And um, I just, I used to, I remember I used to be, I was, we were the last family on the block to get an Xbox. I swear to you, like we would not go to the Xbox PlayStation thing. They could play computer games, which seemed safer because they were on a computer. This is back, you know, 20 years ago. And my kids kept begging for the Xbox. They would go to the neighbors and play the Xbox. And then finally we got the Xbox and we said, hey, we were worried they weren't going to go outside and play anymore. And we said, okay, if you want 30 minutes on the Xbox, then it has to be paired with 30 minutes of outside time, being physical, reading a book or going outside, doing other things. And when I tell you the Xbox did not overtake our lives, it just became a social component that was fun when we had friends over. They did some of the song things where they did music. I don't know, played guitar. My kids are not musical, but they did that whatever guitar man, guitar hero. And that was funny. And yeah. And they did a lot of the sports games and they still, even at 22, my 22, 20 and 16 year old come home when they were home for the pandemic. And there is a huge soccer tournament going on in the basement on, you know, whatever the, the, the sports game that they're all playing. And there's a lot of laughter, a lot of competition. So I have nothing against now, you know, those boxes, if they're used in, you know, in moderation and, and in, in creative ways. It seems like we can talk with our kids and find there's a, there'd be a difference between this is something they enjoy that can be a passion versus a way of hiding or avoiding feelings and depression things. So I think if we start asking our kids, wow, you know, you really seem to enjoy playing that video game. What do you like about it? And, and start those conversations with really, how did you get good at it? And, and kind of showing them how they're learning skills there then that might change their thoughts or play with them. I asked my kids, show me how to do it. And they started laughing at me. I said, show me how to use the controller and show me how to play the game with you. And, um, it became kind of funny. I'm terrible. I'm terrible at it. You know, I don't do it very often, but it was a way to engage. So yeah, I, I agree. I think your questions are great, Sandy. So Jen, when, you guys talk to parents and you start making these kinds of suggestions, you know, help your kids follow their passion. What do you see? How do you see kids responding when that type of change happens? We actually um, jumped in on a book club recently. And um, that actually has been one of the greatest surprises that we've seen um, throughout this is all these book clubs springing up and um, discussing concepts from our book. And this one mom was talking about how um, her, I believe it was a daughter, was very unmotivated. She was unmotivated in the classroom. She hadn't found a passion. Um, She was just kind of grumpy and just kind of overall, um, there was a lot of friction in the family. Well, lo and behold, 
um, a friend introduced her to wrestling and she had never thought about wrestling before and um, got involved and then got very involved and then was obsessed with wrestling. And in becoming obsessed with her wrestling, her grades started to come up um, to the point where this, this girl who had kind of been um, floundering in some of her classes or, or not performing to her potential um, was, was really thriving in many different areas. And so I think that that's a great example for how allowing our kids to pursue what interests them can infiltrate their entire lives. Um, and, and we do see things like that a lot. Um, another example that we actually mentioned in the book, um, a mom came to me and told me that her son was likewise unmotivated and, oh my gosh, you know, he has no interest and I can't get him to do any activities. Oh, and by the way, his, um, his grades aren't very good. And so he and I engaged in some goal setting and I was trying to, you know, find out a little bit more about him. And in that goal setting, he told me that he really wanted to learn a lot more about cooking. He really enjoyed cooking and um, his mom and him were going to be signing up for this cooking class together and he was really excited about it. And I started thinking back to, wait, mom just told me he has zero interests and he's not excited about anything. But what she was really saying was that they weren't interests that she wanted him to have or they weren't interests that she could see going somewhere. And I met with that student later and he did join that cooking class and he and his mom shared that experience together. And again, his grades started to increase. Actually, it is now a couple of years later, I recently saw the kid and he is involved in all sorts of different activities and he's so excited about getting involved and he's a great student. Um, and so I think the mom just needed to kind of like see him for who he was and see where that cooking passion could take him. And it did, um, it did lead him a lot of different directions. Well, that's another piece. You guys are experts in the college admissions process, which we'll have to have you back to have a whole show about that because I know I have mighty parents asking. And interests, activities, you know, doing applications, people want leadership. And so parents do, we tend to go, oh, they need to be president of an organization or they need to be in sports or they need to be doing music. Like there's this tiny little circle of things that feels like it will get our child into the future that we hope for, for them, or that we have dreamed about for them. How does helping kids just follow these random passions, you know, reading or playing video games or doing a trapeze, like how does that play into the college admissions, pro admissions process? There is no one specific profile. And I think that that is such a commonly um, misconstrued notion of what college admission looks like. College admission officers are interested in what gets your student excited? Have they challenged themselves to um, the best of their ability and um, you know what are they excited about and leadership you know you mentioned leadership leadership can come in so many different forms you do not need to be the student body president 
to be a leader. You can form a club that is something that, um, you know, is related to an interest that you have. You can, um, you know, start some sort of a campaign to letter writing campaign, maybe to change some piece of legislation. That's leadership. There are so many different ways that students can pursue leadership. So, um, while it seems like there might be this really small circle of things that you can do, it's really infinite. Thing, students and families just need to be willing to think outside the box um, to, to explore all the different things that are out there. And one of the problems that parents have is getting their kids to write those essays. As you were talking, Jen, what I could see is a child who has a passion is going to be excited about writing this essay. They're going to have something good to say in that essay. So that'll make that process easier too. I don't know what your thoughts are on all this, Cindy. Yeah, I, I mean, so the college essay, and again, we could have a, a, a whole different conversation on this process. And the college essay, again, is I think another one of those things that parents and probably teens over, way, overthink way too much um, in terms of what's the college looking for and what do they want? Um, the questions are so open-ended that you really could write just about anything and you only have about 650 words to write it. So how much can you say in that? This is not you know, the history of your life in 650 words. It's a very small moment, a very small conversation, um, you know, a, an exploration of something that excites you, something that just really is evidence of who you are as a person. If someone, I always use the example, if someone were to just pick up your college essay in the middle of the school courtyard and it had no name on it, it would sound like you, it would reflect you, it would be a glimpse of the person who, that, you know, who you are, just a little, a little piece of you. Because there's a lot of other pieces that fill that puzzle. But back to what Jen was saying about this kind of formula or filling in all these blanks in this very small amount of time, um, you know, my view on that is just that every single moment of time doesn't have to be filled. In fact, if anything, COVID and this whole stay at home experience has shown us that we don't have to cram every single minute of every single day from the moment our kids wake up until the moment they go to sleep with activity. And in fact, we explore in the book, a full chapter on how important kind of the downtime and the playtime and the family time are to just pull back from the crazy schedules we were living before. And I'm hoping that this silver lining of COVID may teach us that, you know, we don't have to move and our kids don't have to move at such a frantic pace that they can build in more time to just connect and engage and disconnect as well, just to be, to, um, you know, relax a little bit amidst this and try to just enjoy life a little bit more instead of feeling like they have four years to prove themselves to some, you know, end goal. Um, and that brings me back to what we really talked about at the beginning. And I love this quote, um, if, you, if you're okay with me sharing it from our book, it was from a um, headmaster. And he said uh, really eloquently, he said, families play a role in empowering students. We need you to show your belief in them. It's tempting in this day and age to step in, to take control when you see your child struggling, to solve a problem for them. But this sends the message I don't believe you can do this. I don't believe you're capable of handling this yourself. And that is not what you mean. That's not what a 16 year old, but that is what a 16 year old will hear. Here too, we can take the long view. We want them to learn to advocate from themselves and your calming influence is what will empower them to get there. And I just, I love how this headmaster summarizes it because really it is, 
it seems like it's become this frantic race that is just suffocating our kids and creating so much anxiety and unnecessary stress. And really it's a lifetime journey. And I think we all know as adults, you know, where you end up in college is just where you're supposed to be. It all sort of falls into place and you can study anything you want at pretty much any campus in the country, uh, close to home or far away, expensive or community college. So there's just a lot of ways to get from point A to point B. And I just feel like I hope the book um, has, has, you know, and the pandemic have asked us to just slow down a little and pull back a little and let our kids lead us with, you know, follow their lead with what, you know, not just excites them, but what is, is ailing them too, so that we can help guide in a, in a positive way. I like that. And that ties in with your chapter, praise the journey, not the destination. What I'd like to know from each of you, and maybe you have different answers, or maybe you have one and you'll agree, but what what single message, if you were going to tell, if each of you was going to tell our listening audience, our parents, one thing about college admissions, like here's the one thing we want you to know, or the one thing we want you to do to help your child in preparing for and going through the college admissions process, what is that? Jen, you want to go first? I think for me, it would be to understand, Cindy touched on it a bit earlier, um, it would be to understand that we actually know from the research that it is not about where you go, but what you do when you're there. It's about the opportunities that you take advantage of when you are on your college campus, rather than the name of the campus itself. And I want families to be able to find solace in that fact. And that's why it's important to empower our kids to take chances, to embrace challenge, to be okay with failure, to advocate for mentors, because those are the things that they're going to be doing on their college campus that will really punctuate their learning experience. It's not where they go but it's what they do and those opportunities that they take advantage of um, that's really going to matter and that's going to lead to them becoming a thriving and, um, you know, quote, successful um, adult. Cindy, yeah, that, was, that was nicely said, Jen. I will echo, you know, Jen and say, I agree with all of that. And I think my, you know, piece of advice for parents would be to make sure that their teen and tweens know that who they are is enough. Who they are and what they enjoy and how they're doing in school and you know that they are that they see who their teen is and they appreciate the person that they have in front of them and at whatever level they fall academically. I mean, obviously if school comes easier to your kids or they really like being a student, I think it's easier to be a parent because then you don't have academic worries. But if your kids are struggling and you can help guide these, you know, to be teachable moments and ways for self-improvement and all of that, just to let our kids know that we know they're working hard. We know they're doing their best. And that's really all we wish for them is for that they're enough and that we see them and we support them. So, um, you know, that college, you know, silver bullet does not exist. If Jen and I had a crystal ball, you know, we would not be working with students, we would just, you know, all the answers would sort of be out there, but whoever this student is that presents themselves to colleges at the, you know, 
end of their junior year and the beginning of their senior year, um, that's who they are and that's their authentic self. And if they can share who they authentically are, not who their parents are like trying to inauthentically create and, you know, a personal statement that lets them feel comfortable sharing their voice, not the voice of their parents, not the voice of their teacher or their college counselor, but that lets them share their voice, then they have to know that that is enough. And whatever the colleges decide, there's gonna be a couple that you get into and all of those would probably be great for different reasons. And it's all gonna work out. It's all gonna work out. They're going to go to college somewhere and they're gonna be able to study things that interest them and meet interesting people and you know, live a happy life. I appreciate all of your insights today. So for listeners who want more from you, where can they get that? Uh, we would love for listeners to um, check out our website, which is www.parentcompassbook.com. They can also follow us on Instagram at Parent Compass, on Facebook at The Parent Compass, and we're even on LinkedIn with our names, Cindy Muchnick and Jen Curtis. But if you Google the Parent Compass book, um, you know, they'll find us. And, you know, the book is for sale pretty much everywhere um, that books are sold. We're encouraging people to support the small independent bookstores that are struggling during this time. If you have a local store and um, can support them, that would be great. Or you could get them at any of the, you know, the bigger name places as well. But we love being on your show. <laughs> We're really encouraging, um, if you if you read the conclusion of our book, we're really encouraging families to form a village, form a community around the Parent Compass message, hold each other accountable, and um, take action. And one of the ways, as I mentioned earlier, that we've seen that happen is through these book clubs. Um, and so we're really urging um, everyone out there, if you have a book club, read it with your book club, discuss it. We actually have a book club guide available on our website um, and it will be going into future printings of the book as well. So um, it should be a wonderful resource for you to challenge yourselves and challenge others um, and really um, form a community around the Parent Compass message. I love that. And of course, as always, we will have links to these in the show notes, including um, an online site that supports our indie bookstores. So if you don't have a small local bookstore, you can still support them buying there. And also if you're doing a book club, you could just have one person order copies for everybody if that's more convenient. I appreciate both of you being here today. Mighty Parents, thank you for joining us and being part of the Mighty Parenting community. Remember, you are a mighty parent. You got this. And I will see you next week.